0: Okay, we're good.
1: Thanks. Are we ready to start? Yeah,
0: it's recording. Oh, it's recording. I'm just yeah. gonna cut this
1: out. Oh, I thought you were t- <laughs> I thought you were talking into the mic like I could only hear you through the mic. That's why you were talking. <laughs>
0: like a walkie it, talk. Like I
1: was in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the people that they say I called her and they make the phone signal with their hand. <laughs> like someone actually cares. We should probably leave this in here. You're This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. All right, so we are here. We have a new and exciting format that we are going to start today. It is an AMA, and Ask Me Anything. So instead of doing a normal interview with a guest, which we will get back to, and we have uh, many exciting ones coming up, we have Hannah here, our lovely podcast producer, who is going to do this podcast with me. She has questions that we frequently get from our patients, from the audience, that she has herself, and we're going to have a discussion around that. So Hannah, how are you?
0: I'm good. Yeah, first live podcast. Well. See how it goes. Are you
1: ready to ready to go?
0: I'm ready to go. All
1: right, let's go. What do you got for me today?
0: All right. So question number one, it actually came from me earlier in our Friday meeting, um, is basically is switching up your workout routine better for staying fit or staying in shape? And what I mean by that is, if I lift weights, should I throw in something different every once in a while to, you know, so my body doesn't get used to the same thing?
1: I think as far as you getting used to the same thing, um, whenever you're working out and training anything, whether you're a swimmer, so a similar concept, there is a, there is something of progressive overload where you know, let's just take an easy example and say you're bench pressing and you do a hundred pounds for 10 reps week one, and then you just do a hundred pounds for 10 reps 12 or 13 weeks later, there's never any progression there. just like if you were training in your swim season. Uh, If you start out by doing, again, 3,000 meters at the same speed and for the whole season you're doing the exact same thing, you're probably never going to make any sort of progression. So there is some level of progression that you always have to make. Now, where the nuance comes in and I guess the expertise may come in in programming and training is how to go about doing that. And so in any activity, the way someone will get injured or hurt is by going, we say, too much, too fast, too soon. So uh, if you're bench pressing and you can do 100 pounds for 10 reps and then two weeks later you're doing 300 pounds, uh, you're probably not going to be able to do that because you're overloading too quickly. Now, from a general health perspective, people like you and I that aren't competitive athletes and we just want to feel good and look good and we want to be healthy, there is a level of of basically mixing it up varying exercises that we do want to do um but again there's there's a lot of thought behind how to do that so you know for me what i tell people when they ask me about you know doing yoga or weightlifting or swimming or running and all these different sports or different activities you know what's good what's bad i don't generally don't think there's bad exercise or good exercise what i like to tell people is think about like if you had to draw like a spider web the center of the spider web, in my opinion, is always some form of resistance training. Like that should be the baseline for everybody. And then outside of that, you can do whatever you like. So, Hannah, you wanna swim? Good, go swim, but you should probably do some resistance training with it. You know, tennis, I like to play tennis, golf, cool, but if that's all I did, it's probably not gonna be enough. So as we get older, there is a we all do need to do some form of resistance training to keep muscle mass, build muscle mass, keep mobility. And so that's usually what I tell people is that you want weight training and a variety of weight training to be the center of your exercise sphere and then anything else you like to do should be complementary to that.
0: Now, do you find people who, let's say like just a runner – that feel like they don't like weightlifting or they don't want to do it? Like, what do you tell them? Because if that's the center for general fitness, maybe somebody who thinks that, you know, they're in pretty good shape and all they do is run. Like, what about that person?
1: Yeah. And so it was, we had that discussion member with Brian Reynolds, who mm. he really loves. He's a runner, uh, um, missing the word. What is Double amputee Double, distance runner. That's right. Thank you. Double amputee distance runner, but he's someone who loves to lift weights and he always talks about a lot of the guys he trains with don't like to lift weights and so and he says from a running perspective it's very important that they do now again he's a competitive runner and he's still talking about cross training so to speak but um, again most people are going to do what they like to do so runners like to run they probably don't like to lift weights yoga people like to do yoga they probably don't like to lift weights. Power lifters like to lift weights. They probably don't want to do so much yoga, but the average Joe that's going to do one or the other should probably mix in something else with it, right? Even something like swimming, you know, one of the issues with swimming, only swimming as you get older, it's non-weight bearing. And we know that weight bearing exercise is what kind of keeps bone and muscle Around, so to speak, as you get older. So, swimming isn't bad. It's just that if that's all you're doing when you're 75, it's not optimal.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to go rogue here for a second, yeah. like a sidebar question off of this. Now, people who, let's say they're trying to lose weight or something, it just made me think of this straight up cardio, is that going to burn as much as a weightlifting session or what burns more? And you're, you know. So, the, the big
1: thing with losing weight in general is always diet over exercise. That's true. Most people, always, most people that know what's going on will say that 70-30, 80-20, something like that. Um, I think that is another one of those myths with people that um, if they only do cardio and they sweat and they burn calories on the treadmill, they'll lose weight. Now, one of the things that people don't realize is that as you gain more muscle mass, you actually become more metabolically efficient, meaning that you're you can burn more. And so, again, it's not all or nothing. It's probably a little bit of both. But I still think, you know, we I see people all the time, especially at our office, um, in the gym, people that spend two to three days a week weightlifting who really start to lose weight. But it will always come back to diet primarily.
0: All right. All right. We're going to go in that similar gear of weightlifting. Now, I hear a lot that when you're lifting weights, you're working your core, and that's, you know, Something like instead of sitting and doing 200 abs every day, if I'm barbell back squatting, I'm going to be working my core. If I'm doing something else, I'm working my core. Yeah. Thoughts.
1: Well, I think the first thing is as a general person in the gym the purpose of using the core, right? So, a lot of people think they need to use their core so they can build a six pack. Like, they want to, people want to see their abs.
0: Of course. Who doesn't want a six pack? Of course. The
1: six pack. <laughs> we used to say in anatomy class when I was in chiropractic school, one of our professors would say, everybody has a six pack. It's usually just under a 12 pack. <laughs> Meaning that if you have fat over your abdomen, you're not going to see your abs. So, again, you can do sit ups so the cows come home and you can get abs and do planks and have really strong core, but that does not mean that you're going to have show abs. And and an easy example of that is, you know, look at these guys, world's strongest men or or powerlifting. Most of them aren't ripped. They're strong as hell, but they're not ripped. Their cores are immensely strong. So being strong and being ripped are not, you know, they're not the same thing. Just like an offensive lineman in football. I mean, these guys are really, really strong, but they're heavy. You know, they have bellies. So that doesn't necessarily mean that if you have abs or show abs that your core is is strong at all.
0: My dad has this saying. My dad was a swim coach for the audience about something with a six-pack, and I can't think of it, and it's killing me. So if I can think – it's pretty funny. If I think of it, I'll put it in the the bio at the end of this. All right. right, Now on a totally different note. So I'm a – I've notoriously been a I'm going to pop Advil if I get headaches, which – is my next question. Is it bad to always take Advil or Aleve or, you know, take it a lot?
1: I think what people don't realize about Advil and Aleve long-term is the effect that it can have on your stomach. You know, it can actually. There's like a 1 in 40,000 chance I think that it can cause some sort of stomach ulcer or just eat through the lining of your stomach. And, you know, you obviously take it and don't feel that in your stomach. Um, Some people do feel it immediately, so they they really – understand that how much that it's going to be bothering them um i think more than that it's what i tell people is again we don't prescribe meds here that's not in our scope nor would we but if i was talking to a friend i shouldn't say that (laughs) on myself what i always say is the only time i'm going to take advil or leave if i is if i have something to the point that i can't sleep
0: Right? right? So, that's like what I was gonna ask, yeah,
1: so if my back is like sore, so I you know, I had back surgery the whole thing, and there's times when my back gets pretty stiff. Um, I'll only take something if it prevents me from getting to sleep. And luckily, knock on wood, that's only been, you know, once a year or sometimes even less. Um, but if if you're somebody that every time you know you work out or, you know, twice a week that you're having to take Advil to get through something. There's probably some sort of underlying cause. Now, headaches are interesting because they can be so multifactorial. Meaning, it could be muscles, it could be neck muscles referring to your head. Um, there could be, you know, tons of other things going on. And we see patients with headaches all the time, and, and we have to be able to figure out where the problem is coming from. But um, as a general rule, it's not something that. Uh, what, what, you know, when patients come in and they're like, yeah, I take Advil three to four times a week, you know, we we have the conversation with them, like, I hope you know that's not normal. Like, that's not the goal here. And, and mm-hmm. one of the goals with treatment is often just to say, hey, if we're taking it four times a week, can we get you down to two? And then can we get you down, down to one? And then can we get you off of that altogether?
0: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we've had this conversation before, you know, not on the podcast. And it definitely makes you think. Because, you know, I'm a headache person. If I get a headache, I'm usually prone to just popping Advil. So what would you say for the average person like me if I'm sitting at home and my head is pounding?
1: The first thing that I would... Drink
0: water. That was what I was going to guess. Well,
1: (laughs) I mean, I think the first thing would be we teach our patients... The biggest thing when we start getting patients to feel better um, is usually they use the word awareness, right? And so... We just try to create awareness around what the problem actually is. And so, you know, taking Advil is a reaction, right? And once I have a headache, that's what I'm going to do. Where I would try and focus you around is, is there any sort of pattern to when this happens? Because, again, like if your head's pounding, or it's already too late, you know? So if you say, like, I'm sitting on the couch and I have a headache, is it – Um, You know, could it be a a food problem? Could it be a posture problem that's causing your neck to get stiff? Could Could it be stress related that every time that you feel stress coming on, it manifests itself in a headache? Could it be when you don't get enough sleep? You know, there's a lot of different factors and so if if I was giving someone at home advice or you advice, the first thing I would say is I would I wouldn't worry about what you're doing today to take the Advil or or what to remedy it once it happens. I would say what's causing it and because if we can get to the root cause, it's easy. You know, if we can get to say like hey, every time Hannah sits at her computer for 6 hours and doesn't take a break, she gets a headache, um well, let's start there. You know? So that's where I would I would bring you to and and, and get your and get your thought process around first.
0: All right. Well, we're gonna move on. The next thing. This was also another one on my list, but hopefully, it resonates with some other people. I'm a big knuckle cracker. I sit at my desk and I crack my knuckles constantly. I've tried to crack my back over my chair. <laughs> I've never tried to crack my neck, but I know people that do. Yeah. So, all those being said, thoughts: Should people be doing that?
1: Um, I think the knuckle cracking from everything that I've seen is is like an old wives' tale. Where I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's ever been proven to be bad for you um any of the cracking noise that you hear even when i'm
0: pretty sure my neck literally just cracked right now i was, I was sitting here and i moved
1: Well you think about it it'll <laughs> happen right um the what the mechanism of people always ask what the mechanism of hearing that crack or pop in the joints or in the in the spine is what the it is the joints of the spine is essentially ooh, think about like when you open a can of soda it's basically you have space within joints and then when you hear that noise, it's gas, bu- it's actually gas bubbles releasing. And that's when you hear that kind of that crack or that pop. Um, it's generally pretty safe and innocuous. It doesn't, it doesn't cause an issue, especially in your knuckles. Like where you know, as a chiropractor, we obviously spend a lot of time learning how to do manipulation and, and um, you know, we always kind of joke with patients I could teach over time, I could teach anyone how to do a spine, a manipulation and to do a crack on somebody. The skill is knowing when and how, when, how, and who, right? So, doing the thing, like Hannah, if I worked with you every day for the next four to six weeks, no, I should say that, probably six to eight months every day on mechanics of how to do an actual manipulation, you could do it. Um, The question becomes though, who would you know who to do it on how to do it and and that type of thing and that's really gonna
0: be now most likely.
1: But that's <laughs> that's essentially and it's same thing with like surgeons, right? So we say oh, he's a great surgeon and I always joke with people is it that he has great hands to do the procedure or Is it that he is picking the right patients to do surgery on you know, there's a lot of nuance to this thing It's not just about the thing It's about knowing who to do it on and how to do it and who actually needs who actually needs it so um, you know manipulation and the cracking is one of the actually the safest things and that you can do for people Which is people don't realize that um, But it it's most important to know who to do it on and, and how you know when to perform it on somebody
0: so that being said when i was in college and i'm thinking of a specific teammate i'll have to share this with her sure. i'd lay on the floor in the locker room i'd take a deep breath in and she'd put her two hands on my back and just you crack know,
1: it yeah that's the, it. that's the classic swimming swimmer engine <laughs> i mean again i wouldn't recommend it the the downside of that um you know one of the things one of the things when you're so basically what you're talking about is if you have a person on, flat on our table or on the floor and their heads turned to one side and basically someone comes on I'm trying to they stand behind you on and put their hands on your middle back where your ribs are and basically push down and you feel yep. a crack basically in your mid back call your thoracic spine and your rib cage was that basic? yeah
0: yeah yeah so you always say breathe in yeah.
1: And so the and then, b- the biggest downside you have there is one of the most delicate areas in your spinal column and extremity area is your ribs. And so one of the dangers there is you could crack somebody's rib when you do that. So, um which again if you read like for us we have malpractice insurance and if you read where we get our malpractice insurance they'll talk about case studies and it it does happen it's part of it there are patients that you know they're brittle bones or they have something and they get a manipulation to their thoracic spine that was warranted and you know it was a little bit too hard or done in the wrong spot and you could crack somebody's rib so i mean you would think that you know someone on the swim team doing it somebody else on the swim team the likelihood could be quite a bit Not higher trained
0: chiropractors yeah
1: that would be um that would that would be i think your biggest downside risk is i could crack someone's rib quite easily
0: we'll have to find out if they're still doing that in, in richmond I'm sure they are <laughs> um and then you know the last question that we had on that same topic is you know, we at events. I've heard people say that they're most nervous about their neck being cracked. And yeah. that's even in the office, you know. Sure. I think people get – it's a common, you know, shared thought that people get nervous about someone grabbing their head.
1: Twisting it and yeah. turning it here in the crack. Yeah, totally. You know, we understand that. Um, you know, our practice here at Strive to Move is a bit different in that, you know, you walk in with neck pain we don't necessarily crack your neck. We can do that. And we believe that it can be helpful for some people, um, but not everybody. And the analogy that I use for patients when they come in with pain is, you know, in their back of their neck is that um, if you went to your car mechanic with a flat tire and he changed your engine, that wouldn't be relevant. Right. And so for us here, that's why we do more than just the typical cracking or adjusting. It's part of it, but 10 to 20% of it, right? We do a lot of rehab with patients. We have kettlebells. We have patients who are deadlifting if they need to. We're doing stretching. We're doing muscle work. There's a lot of other things that we can do for people that doesn't necessarily involve just the manipulation piece of it. And, and truthfully, if a patient came in and just said they weren't comfortable for whatever reason, almost never would I try to talk them into it because I think... The fortunately for me and and for us here at at our practice is that we have other ways that we can treat people so that we don't necessarily need to do that. All that being said, it is very, very, it is a very safe thing. People think it's like crazy when Mm -hmm. you look at it, but the thing that we always bring people back to is – as a chiropractor, if it wasn't safe, our malpractice insurance would be really high, and we had the lowest malpractice insurance out of almost any medical profession.
0: Oh, I so, work here, and I didn't know that. Yeah, and so oh, that's,
1: that's an cool. e- the easiest way is th- if, if we had a lot of risk with what we did, our malpractice would be through the roof, and it isn't. So that just gives credence to show you that it is safer than a lot of people give credit to.
0: There you go. All right, and then the last one I have for today, going back to that weightlifting. We've had this conversation before. Um, and my reason that we brought up this was, so I was a slimmer, as we said, my dad was my, uh, club coach in, uh, middle and high school and we never lifted as, you know, younger high school athletes. That wasn't something we did. We would do, you know, the occasional dry land, some core. We never really picked up weights, you know, looking back on it. I think it's cause my dad was worried we wouldn't have been educated on proper form That being said, should high school athletes be lifting? Um, Yes or no?
1: Well, I think (laughs) I totally see where your dad's coming from because we work with a lot of swimmers here that do dry land training and it's it's god-awful, you know? And so if I had a a choice between, um, you know, a group of swimmers or any athletes doing dry land poorly or not doing it at all, I would say don't do it at all. And so when I used to work in college athletics, um, there's nothing that would frustrate me more is when my athletes would be injured from weightlifting. So if they got injured in the gym, I literally would, I was half joking, but I wasn't, I wanted to get the point. I would say, you know, rather than working out right now, you're better off taking a nap because you're better off coming to the gym healthy, ready to do your sport before or, or without getting injured. And so... I think I think there's a there's a good point to that now one of the issues becomes if we look at high school or club sports or even into college sports um, just like you know I'm sure your dad's spent a ton of time and was very knowledgeable and an expert in swimming and teaching swim technique in order to put a training or weightlifting program in place you need someone with equal amount of expertise.
0: Oh yeah, I totally agree.
1: And so one of the things that we see at the high school level, more so in a sport like football where people are expected to lift weights, is a lot of times the coaches are the ones doing the weight room with the athletes. Well you talked about it, right? I was
0: just I was just gonna say I um while I was finishing my masters down in Virginia, I was a division three swim coach and, you know, it was an amazing opportunity, but not all schools have equal resources. So here I am, six AM in the weight room with all of my summers and i'm kind of the weightlifting coach and i will tell you you know i kind of think i know what i'm doing but i definitely do not have the qualification to be a weightlifting coach yeah
1: it's um that's the part where i think it'll get there you're starting to see it a little bit like um locally to us here we uh, one of my former mentors who i used to train with uh paul colodi he's a high school strength and conditioning coach at hundred and central high school and he's full-time like he it's a full-time gig after school 230 and from what i understand they get one team and then 330 is another four is another five and so it's run like a college a big time Mm -hmm. college program um and and most schools don't have that and you know it's It's huge. It's hugely important because, you know, I always tell people the thing with weightlifting is that it's very black and white, like done correctly. It could be the best thing that you could do for for high school kids or any kids or any athletes done wrong. It could get them injured. And so, you know, as I look at it, I'm I'm a big proponent of getting people in a situation that they can do lifting and they can work out and learn how to do it properly. So to your point, if we could backtrack, you know, a decade or whatever and go back to your club swim team with your dad, if we put in place the right people to teach dry land done properly, it would be probably the best thing that they ever did done done properly. So what Mm -hmm. does that mean? It probably doesn't mean we're going to go and take, you know, 15 year old Hannah and load a bar on her back and have her (laughs) squatting 200 pounds. But we may teach her how to do a squat so she understands the movement pattern. We might teach her how to do a proper push-up. We'll do shoulder stability kettlebell work with her. We'll do different core exercises and, and shoulder stability work. All the things that, you know, when we think of weightlifting, we think of taking weights and throwing them around and and lifting heavy weights and squatting and deadlifting and um we could get we could get a, a group of people very strong and very fit without ever lifting a barbell off the ground, without really ever doing anything very heavy. Um, you know, when I've seen my swimmers in here that come in with injuries specifically, we're doing a ton of kettlebell work. We're doing a ton of like, believe it or not, crawling exercises for shoulder stability. We're doing a ton of what I would put in place as a weightlifter, I'm using air quotes, that mm. you wouldn't think is weightlifting, you know, like you see at a gym.
0: Right. Now, all that being said, you know, female 15-year-old swimmer versus maybe a 16-year-old boy football player, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's got to play a part in it, you know. I mean –
1: And I'll answer – probably the opposite answer than you're expecting. I would say the 15-year-old girl swimmer needs it more than the 16-year-old – Yeah, so – Here's the I thing. I think know where you're going with this. You tell me, because I'm curious. If you, if you if <laughs> Here we go.
0: Let's test this out. Testing. Well, you know, when I was in sixth grade, I was one of the tallest people in my class. You know, I grew early. I was, I think I broke my ankle when I was 13. I broke it out of movie theater. That's a story for another time. <laughs> and the, you know, whoever was looking at my ankle, my growth plate was almost entirely closed. I was done growing. Whereas like. You know, a lot of these younger boys are haven't even started growing. So I feel like the pace at which, you know, young boys and girls grow is different. That's probably, like, can you put, like, a 15-year-old boy who hasn't even hit puberty, like, you're, are you going to load a, him up with a barbell? Like, I don't know.
1: I mean, done properly, loaded properly. Is that where you thought I was going? Um, maybe not exactly, <laughs> but lo- no, but it's a good point though. Cause it used to be, oh, their growth plates aren't closed. They shouldn't be lifting. I, I'm, I, I don't have the exact science, but I'm pretty sure that that's been, you know, debunked that, um, that it doesn't affect that. So, you know, if I had a 10 year old kid right now and 11 year old kid right now, I would have no problem sending him to the gym to learn how to, you know, push a sled or the things he's doing in his sport are going to be much more taxing on the body mm-hmm. than what they do in the weight room. Again, done properly. Done properly. I'm not talking about getting your 11 year old and deadlifting 400 pounds. Right. I'm I'm talking about teaching him how to do basic movement patterns, you know, well for a few years, so that when he does start lifting heavy weights, he does it properly. Where I was going to go with that was the profile of a typical, on average, 15 year old swimmer versus that typical on average 16 year old football player so in order to be good at swimming most likely they're you're tall lean and quite lanky and very very flexible when you're very flexible what's the problem you're not very stable meaning you could stretch for days you have a lot of range of motion and you've got a you know you're not very strong or stable in the right positions and swimming is a sport where you have to be really strong and so one of the things that i what the reason i would say You know a 15 year old female swimmer why she needs the weight room even more than that football player is because again she's gonna always think she needs to stretch and stretch and stretch where she probably needs to learn how to stabilize her core how to stabilize her shoulders her shoulder blades her hips her glutes Um, that won't come naturally to her and so you know most of us have profiles in that the sports that we're drawn to are like my gymnasts most of them are genetically really really flexible so what does that mean most of them aren't very strong and stable your classic like football offensive lineman he's big strong and he's not super flexible Mm -hmm. he probably will need some more flexibility and mobility training and so a lot of times we fall into those type of buckets where what we would think you know like the like the the gymnast or the swimmer oh they need yoga no they probably actually need more weight room stuff done properly
0: and I will say after you know being here for however many months I've been here it totally makes sense you know I would have never had known that before especially in you know during my swimming career but it, if you think about it it's like yeah obviously like how did I not know that
1: and the other part too is I think that and you may have seen it um, be going from like a club or high school swim team to collegiately. You know, I saw it with some of my athletes that would were going to pretty big time Division One programs that had really good strength and conditioning. Like they blossomed amazingly in college because they actually were in a proper training program. And now I was like, wow, this is like. A whole new level now their swimming is so much better because they're strong they're stable they're actually getting hurt less even though they're swimming more because of all those factors
0: right exactly and that was you know always the hope coming out of high school is that's what you'd get
1: and but it doesn't always happen I went to a division three school we didn't have any uh we we were on our own
0: you know mm-hmm. and that's the
1: reality and truthfully a lot of the athletes we work with here that do play division one sports um not to mince words i mean the strength and conditioning they do at school is terrible Mm -hmm. and so a lot of times we're just trying to fix the mistakes that happen at school um quite often and so it's it's more than you think And, and that's the unfortunate uh situation out there that was pretty good yeah um so Guys, I hope you enjoyed this AMA. It's our first one. We hope to do more. If you are out there and you have any questions that you'd like answered, answer, you can email myself, drjustin at strive to move.com, or you can email Hannah, which is marketing at strive to move.com. Um, anything that you'd like answered, we will make sure that we a- answer it in our next podcast. Hannah, thank you so much for uh, doing this. We'll do it again soon.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
1: Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve, and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at StriveToMove.com/slash/our-services. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and crossfit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com/slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no-obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the Talk to the Doctor First button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the
0: Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.